are listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church online experience. My name is Matt Joy. I am the lead pastor here, and I am so excited that you carved out 25 minutes and change to study the Word of God alongside us. For those of you that may be joining for the very first time, we're in the middle of a series on the vision that God has given the Pines Church, us, for our second year. And so when we were in prayer, I believe the Lord impressed upon our heart. He gave us the image of a trident. So think Aquaman. And on a trident, there are three spears. And each tip of each spear represented a specific focus that the church was meant to set their gaze to. So in no particular order, we were going to be a church that is focused on the loss. We are going to be a church that is focused on discipleship. And we are going to be a church that is focused on unity, unity amongst the generations and unity amongst the church. So the last few weeks, we've really been um, talking heavily about the lost, about getting a little uncomfortable so that others can be comfortable. Jesus made it crystal clear that the purpose of the church is to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what he gave his life for. And so we as the church are to follow in his sandals, so to speak, in reaching the lost. And so, and also in that, who are the lost? The lost aren't just living on the street. They're also walking the red carpet at the Oscars. And so there are people in this world, we can't look at the metric of success according to the American culture that are completely lost, lost with no money in their pockets, lost with a bunch of money in their pockets. And so we carry the words of eternal life. God has placed purpose on the inside of each and every single one of us. And we want to come alongside to help excavate that purpose and to connect them with their creator. And so this week, we're going to be switching gears up a little bit, and we're going to be focusing in on unity. The Bible says where there's unity, God commands his blessing. And so we want to be people that fight for fierce unity, unity amongst the church and unity amongst the generations. But I have to address a major problem that is facing our world before I dive into the subject of unity, and that is division. So if the opposite of unity is division, and I don't think you have to look very far. You can turn on Fox News or CNN News, turn on social media to see that we are more divided than ever before. And what I want to focus in on in that division, not just politically, even unfortunately, um, in, in every arena of life, but amongst the generations. So, you know, the world is trying, the enemy culture is trying to divide us, baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z. And what worries me the most about the generations being divided um, as a pastor is this idea and this sense of like tribalism and I'm sticking with my camp. So in other words, it's baby boomers against millennials. That's like a popular headline. I don't know how Gen X get lo got left out of the conversation, but somehow Gen X has been left out of the conversation. But 
the enemy is intentional to try to divide and pitting generations against one another. But the very ethos of the church is that we are the body of Christ, that we are all connected. So we must um, push against this division. And guess what? Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So before we go looking at our political systems and everything else out there in the world, we have to take an honest assessment of ourselves in the church. Are we dividing according to generation in the church? So in other words, baby boomers meet at this time, you know, Gen X meets at this time. And if we can't, if we're not careful, we can easily find ourselves doing that. Now, the church must be multi-generational. Blue hair should be listening and, emp and empowering silver hair. And no hair should be listening and empowering pink hair because all followers of Christ are working out their salvation in fear and trembling and we are all part of the body connected. Instead of building one another up though, I see a lot of people in the church deconstructing their faith and deconstructing one another by casting judgment on generations. Rather than empowering, we're actually disempowering. We're taking away achievements and power. And at the core of this division, I in malice and discontent, I believe you'll find the roots and the tentacles of envy. I really believe that's the issue between generations, between Gen X, between Gen Z, and between millennials and baby boomers, uh, because you often hear it say, well, you have this, and they got this, and we didn't have this, and well, we didn't have that, and on and on and on and on and on it goes, separating the divide between the generations. Envy is absolutely senseless and unreasoning. It, it, it makes no sense. And it's rarely satisfied until the focus of that envy is ultimately destroyed. So the purpose of envy is to destroy that which is being envied. It's to want and to desire to be in those shoes. And if I can't have it, then I don't want you um, to have it. It's a form of hatred and jealousy, and it's actually stemmed in a type of fear. We weren't meant to live the life of another we were meant to live our life with fear and trembling, with passion and gratitude to the fullest of our extent. And there must be communication amongst the generations so that we can prepare the next generation to go further than us, carrying the same message that has been entrusted to us. So what is the opposite of envy? If we realize that envy is something that's plaguing the church amongst the generations, I believe the Bible defines it like this. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. The opposite of envy is finding joy in the success of others and feeling sorrow in their failures. Now take it to a generational level. Celebrating the generation's achievements and accomplishments and grieving in their failures and their losses. Understanding that we are connected. 
But this whole idea of rejoicing and feeling, you know, empathy and sympathy for people that are in loss, mourning with those who mourn, um, the very, I, it implies a big idea. The underpinning of this truth is that we are in relationship with one another. And that's ultimately what I want to talk to you about today. Let's break down that word relationship. It's not a word we talk about very often. It's one of those words that like, oh, I, yeah, 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 I know what that word means. But have you ever taken the time to actually define it? Relationship is actually made up of two words, relation or relate and ship, okay? I don't want to say that too fast. Relate is defined as this. First of all, it's a verb, meaning it's an action, Okay, it means to have a significant connection or bearing on something or someone. To find or show a connection between two or more people based on an understanding or on shared views or concerns. So we were meant to relate with one another. It is a verb, meaning that we must get a little uncomfortable if you're in Enneagram 4 or 9 or you're an introvert so that others can be comfortable, so that we can be in relationship with them. Or that's the word relate. The other side of the word is ship. And a ship, and this is really interesting, is a vessel larger than a boat, listen to this, for transporting people or goods by sea, okay? So we're meant to have connection, to bear with one another, to bring two people together with a mutual view and shared concerns. And then the ship part is we're meant to transport them, okay, to their destiny, to their calling. So we are in the body of Christ, our relationship connectors, bearing and encouraging one another to get to their destinations. So as a baby boomer, I'm not a baby boomer, but as a baby boomer, their goal in relate and ship relationship should be to connect with the next generation to help, to aid, to assist them in getting to their destination. This is way more urgent than we think because it's honestly not happening at the level that it needs to happen on. So how can we foster relationship amongst the generations? How are we going to get baby boomers to hang out with Gen Z? How are we going to get millennials to hang out with Gen X? And to answer that, I want to introduce another word, okay? Now, at first, when I did a little homework on this word, I felt when I read it, I was like, uh, it's kind of a feminine word, you know, and whatever, toxic masculinity. I wanted to avoid the word, but as I dove into the meaning, I realized like this is a word rich in scripture, and this is the way that God um, deals with each and every single one of us. And that word is nurture. And I want to I want to define this word to give tender care and protection, to encourage to grow, develop, thrive, and be successful. More often than not, when we hear the word nurture, we think of um, like a horticologist, plants, right? And we all know that you have to nurture a plant. You have to take care of a plant. Or we think of it in like parenting. 
children, like children, we really have to, you know, come alongside them, encourage them to help them develop so that they can thrive and, and be successful. But I believe in generations that we must nurture each generation. And let me just say this, not just from the baby boomers to the millennials. Sure, there's a lot of experience and time under the belt of a, of a baby boomer that they can share with a millennial so that they don't have to make the same mistakes so that they can go further than them. But let me just say this, the Bible, commands us to have a childlike heart, that we should be students in life. And I believe that the baby boomers can learn a lot from the passion, the fire, and the conviction of the millennials. But we have to have this open line of communication. We can't just belt out in prayer, I'm believing that the next generation is going to go further than me, without intentionality behind those or their words are just hollow. And so the Bible breaks it down like this. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Notice the words. It says one generation will teach. It doesn't say just merely teach your works to one another. It says one generation shall praise your works to one another. Praise is exaltation in God. The education of the next generation must not be um, only aim at exaltation, but it must involve exaltation. So what is that word exaltation? You usually just sing it at Christmas, right? Um, exaltation, I want you to hear this, means triumphant, elation, jubilation, and rejoicing. Okay, so let praise carry the truth to the next generation. So in other words, we can't have dry, unemotional, indifferent teaching uh, of the word of God. Whether it's at home or at church, that is actually a half truth at best. It says one thing about God, so you're, you're claiming these things about God as you read his words, but your actions are completely contrary to what you're speaking. It's inconsistent. It says God is great, but it teaches as if God really isn't great. Now, I know passion looks different on everyone, but every single one of us can to attest to a teacher that we sat under their tutelage that was believed in what they were teaching, and one that was just simply reading from a syllabus. And that's the point, okay, that the author of Psalms is trying to get across to us, that yes, we are to teach each generation, but we must teach in exaltation, with joy, with triumphant elation, in communicating and sharing these truths. See, look, let's look at Deuteronomy. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You will teach, and you will talk about these things. When you're sitting down, when you're laying down, at night, and in the morning, when you're on the street, when you're in the seat. I feel like Dr. Seuss. 
But the point in the idea of what they're communicating in Deuteronomy, what Moses is trying to get across is these words, these truths, and these principles will be on your lips 24-7. And you will communicate them with exultation, with a triumphant, joyful rejoicing and celebrating what the Lord has done in and through your life and what he has shown to you. Deuteronomy 4.9 says this, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. We can't forget to remember. We must take time to recount, to rejoice, to remember the things that God has done in and through us. Because the Bible warns us, if you don't, you'll forget. And if you forget, then you're hamstringing the next generation. So we must be diligent to keep this praise and his truth on our lips so that we can proclaim and share to the next generation. Not just share though, but to share passionately, to share with conviction behind it, to share in such a way that people know that you have a stake in these words that you're sharing, not just some empty platitude or some ideology that the world ascribes to, but something that has your blood, sweat, and tears behind it. If you communicate God's word in such a way, it will break the walls that people have erected around their hearts, and the seed of truth will penetrate their heart, growing into fruition and leading them to relationship faith and trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. There is just no way that you can convince me when you get a revelation of who God is and what God has done for you that you can't be excited and passionate about his word. Churches shouldn't be libraries. Churches should be like football stadiums. And it always amazes me, somebody that goes into a church and they're kind of like quiet. I don't care if you're an introvert, Enneagram 8. I don't care. Okay? And they're just kind of quiet. Then when the game's on, okay, and Tom Brady's leading a comeback from 28 to 3 in the third quarter, all of a sudden their face is painted blue and red and they're screaming at the top of their lungs. No. Passion and excitement is already inside you. And that passion and excitement that God gave you is meant to be redirected back to him. And what that does is it grabs the attention of the world who is deceived and living in darkness and it points them to their father. I'm amped up, man. I'm amped up. Okay, in conclusion, I want to highlight that we are, this is, this is amazing. So although we are comprised here on earth, in the natural of baby boomer, of Gen X, of millennials, of Gen Z, the Bible actually says and highlights that we are one holy generation that is weaving together from all of human history. Okay, consider Peter's words that were written over 2,000 years ago in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen generation. 
okay? So I am connected to a generation, Peter's generation, who lived 2,000 years ago. There's no millennial, there's no baby boomer, there's no Gen X. I am part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were meant to proclaim the praises of God as one holy generation comprised of every generation under the sun. The world is crying out to see this manifested. The world is crying out to see unity demonstrated and it should begin in the house of the Lord. Isaiah 58, 12 says this. This is out of the New King James Version. Listen to this. This is so good. What's the purpose? Yes, we proclaim, but what is the purpose? Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. We are meant to be the repairers of the breach, building a bridge amongst the divide of the generations. We are relationship connectors. We are generation unifiers. We are about empowering the next generation, the generation above us and the generation beneath us. We must embrace God's generational mindset. Because God is ageless. He isn't locked into one generation. God's with the baby boomers. God's with the Gen X, okay? He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He transcends time. He's outside of time. He created time. He wants one generation to declare his praises. The royal generation, the chosen generation, the royal priesthood, God's generation of believers proclaiming his righteousness here on the earth. Acts 2.17 says, in the last days, it shall be, it, I almost swear, I need to slow down for a second. Acts 2.17 says, in the last days, it shall be, says God. Your young men shall see visions and your old men will have dreams, okay? Your blue hair will have visions and your silver hair will have dreams. The spirit wants to move across all generational lines, repairing the breach, building a bridge amongst the, div uh, amongst the generations. He wants to speak through young and old. He wants to connect us, blend us together, use us together, unite us together as the body of Christ so that the world can see that where there is unity, God commands his blessing. That is our heritage. That is our destiny. And I want that for each and every single one of you. So I want to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this word. I thank you for the excitement that it brings me. And I just pray that that excitement and that passion and that zeal for your word and for your house 
will be birthed inside of every single person watching and every single person listening, and that you, through the Holy Spirit, would open their eyes to be able to see uh, different generations that they can connect with, the wisdom that they have to share, but the wisdom that they also have to receive, and that they would encourage and empower those around them, unifying people inside of their workplace, unifying people inside of their church, Lord. And we, and we, just, we stand on the promise of your word that says, where there is unity, you command your blessing. I thank you that you have blessed us to be a blessing to others. God, we give you all the glory. This is all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.